0: So, we are going to be talking today about, I think I often say this, my sermon is the most important. So, we've got this again today, where, like, Chris droned on and on last week about waiting, you know? Like, who wants to wait, right? Like, this is just, you know, he talked just about waiting well, and about how we should wait, and biblically waiting, and trusting in God while we wait, It's on. It was actually a phenomenal sermon, and if you haven't listened to it, it's there on the RBC website, and you can listen to it. Um, it was awesome, and part of our the just what we face in life, in the sovereignty of God, in his in his ability to do in our lives as he sees best, and sometimes that includes waiting. But I don't have to preach on waiting today. I get to preach on what's happened after the waiting, when there's when like it happens when it comes. So. We are going to be looking today at Acts chapter 2, but I am going to take probably half of this sermon with the introduction, and that breaks all the rules. You're supposed to, in a sermon, get to the point relatively quickly. But the to understand what happened when Acts chapter 2 comes, we have to sort of... Back up and look at okay, what was the lead up to this, and what is the significance of this happening? So, in the to just give sort of a uh, setting for this, remember that we are now going through a series on the Book of Acts, and this is the story of Jesus continuing as the risen Lord and what He is doing to establish His kingdom, and. As is outlined well in this brief uh, outline of the series, it is through the Holy Spirit that he enables and equips his followers to embrace the Father's mandate to testify to Jews and Gentiles from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth of his salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, how he does that, what he sets up in order for that to be accomplished, is what we are going to be looking at today. So, when you see God at work, it's fascinating that in his, the big things that God does, he always works together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because, in fact, God is a triune God. And we are taught that throughout Scripture, Some verses actually lay it out very specifically, and it's fun when you find those verses where the three are actually mentioned, and other times you see one and then you see another, but you can put them together and see what God is up to. We try to illustrate the Trinity in different ways, but none of them are actually very good because the Trinity is unique. It's hard to illustrate it. Somebody has said, well, it's like, you know, I'm a father, and I'm also a son, and I'm also a husband, so that's like three different labels, but you wouldn't say then, like, Dave sent Dave, like, you, would, you wouldn't do that, that would be like, no, it's because it's really I'm just one person with, with three different labels, whereas we have verses in, in the Bible like, the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. So, or, you know, through the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself without spot to God. And in verses like this, you see there are three distinct members or parts of God, and yet, God is one. And that is the great mystery. I would suggest to us that we are, as creatures limited in our ability to grasp things. And so, don't go crazy trying to understand it. Rather, accept it as being awesome. God is God. We are not. He is way more infinite, more beyond. And I think as you, as you live out your Christian life, as you study and read the Word, understand it's almost like you just learn more and more how beyond you it is. And it's just like, so you end up simply standing in awe of God. But I want to go through a few of these this morning as a as, as sort of um, a layup or a, a setup towards what we are seeing in the, our scripture passage for today. So look at creation. In Genesis 1 and 1, we probably know the verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So there's God as We would picture as God the Father um, creating. But then it says actually in John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 3, all things were created by him and for him. And so we say, well, wait a second then, it was the Lord Jesus who actually created. And then in Job, chapter 26, it says, by his spirit he garnished the heavens. So you see, even in the work of creation in terms of creating the world, that For the universe, it was the Trinity involved. You see it in Genesis chapter 3 where he says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And we see again the triune God at work. When we go on to the incarnation, listen to the interaction just briefly between Mary and the angel. Mary asks the angel, how can this happen? I am a virgin. And the angel replies, and listen to the angel's words carefully. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. You see the triune God involved in the incarnation. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High overshadowing you. You've got got the Holy Spirit. You've got God the Father. You've got the baby being born, the Lord Jesus himself being called the Son of God. You see it there in the incarnation. And again, we stand in amazement. This is God, the triune God, working in these great things, these great events in history. Go to the cross of Christ and... In the cross of Christ, we see, again, the Trinity involved. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. There's God the Father, the author of the plan for our salvation. God is good. God is love. If there's any of us here today that don't yet know that God of love... I pointed out to you right here at the beginning of this message. God loves you. And we see God's love manifested or shown to us because God sent his only son into the world. The plan of salvation, the plan for the redemption of your soul and my soul, originates in the heart of God the Father. He is the one who sent his son. The Lord Jesus said himself, No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded. So the Lord Jesus was never out of control. The Lord Jesus, even in death, he had the power to lay his life down and he had the power to take it again. Here we see the Trinity at work. God, it's God's plan, it's God who loved us and sent the Lord Jesus to die for us, but it is the Lord Jesus who himself lays down his life for us. And then in Hebrews 9, it says, for by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. I love that verse. There we have the Trinity together, all in like one sentence. For the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ offers himself to God as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Brothers and sisters, our redemption, the price that was paid for us at Calgary, involved the whole Trinity. Again, the Trinity involved in creation, the Trinity involved in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, and now the Trinity involved in the crucifixion. And the sacrifice for our sins. Now take a look at the resurrection. Where the Lord Jesus rose from the dead. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice. By the man he has appointed. And he proved it to everyone. Who this is by raising him from the dead. Who's this? This is God the Father. It's God who has appointed Jesus as judge and proved who he is by raising him from the dead. The Lord Jesus, again, that verse we already read, he said, I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. So when Jesus rose from the dead on that Sunday morning that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, it was the Lord Jesus himself that had the power to take it again. And then we also have, in 1 Peter 3, he suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit or by the spirit. So the spirit of God was involved in his resurrection as well. So here we have it. Creation, the incarnation, the death of Christ, and now his resurrection. And we see the triune God is involved in all of these. Now, the next thing is the church. So we are... In, in Acts chapter 1, we had the first, the first sermon that we had a couple of weeks ago, we had Christ's ascension. In the last part, we had the, them waiting and watching for this time, the promised coming of the Holy Spirit. And now we are actually going to see this triune God involved again in this great, amazing event of the forming of the church. I'm still not ready to get to our verse. That's why I told you it was going to take a while before you get through the introduction. Because to look at the church, we have to understand, first of all, who is the architect? Simon Peter, back in Matthew chapter 16, in Caesarea Philippi, a place of idolatry, sacrifice of two heathen gods, Many of us who have been to Israel have actually been to Caesarea Philippi and pictured and stood, probably not in the exact place, but somewhere in the area where these words were actually spoken, when Simon Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answers and says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven." And I tell you that you are Peter, but on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. It, This is one of these verses that gives me chills when I read it. I picture the Lord Jesus before the cross. He is rejected by man. He is standing in insignificance, apparently, and just in his journey here on earth. But he makes this declaration that has been incredibly fulfilled in human history. Simon Peter declares, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus credits it right away with the Father was the one who revealed this. It's the Father that has shown you, Peter, who that, that that shown you that truth. And then he says, you are Peter, which is a stone, and contrasts it with the rock on which he will build his church. And that rock, that foundation, that cornerstone, is Jesus Christ himself. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. (sighs) Just recently, in the last few weeks, I was praying with a group of brothers and sisters where two of their number have disappeared. They, no doubt, have been taken by those who hate the name of Christ. They have no idea if they're going to see them again, and you would think that that would be discouraging and defeating and just demoralizing to the group, but instead you find this most amazing thing. You find the answer to the Lord's declaration here, the gates of hell will not overcome it. And when you see the the confidence in prayer and the desire, the, the call that it renews to go out with the gospel and to share it more widely and to share it more faithfully, you just recognize there's something here. What is it that makes these men and women not be in fear? What is it that makes them not want to give up? There's something there, and we're going to see what that is. Who is the general contractor? We've got the architect. That's God himself. Who is the one that is actually building? I'm making an illusion here. For those of you that know building construction, you'll know that they talk about the architect is the one that designs it. And then you have the general contractor that they refer to as the GC. And that's the one that's actually overseeing or doing the, the coordinating the actual building of the project. In John 16, Jesus said, But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And then in John 20, as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again he said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Two references here. The Lord Jesus explained to the disciples he had to go away for the Holy Spirit to come. The We don't really understand why that had to happen, but the Lord Jesus just tells us it had to happen. He had to go in order for the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit was, Jesus did many things that he did in the power of the Spirit when he was here. The Holy Spirit was at work down through the Old Testament. You can see the Spirit of God, and and the scripture references him in many different ways. But there was something different that was gonna happen here. Because Jesus said, I've got to go away for the Holy Spirit to come. So that's a clue for us. The disciples certainly didn't understand it at the time. But that there was going to be a change here. There was going to be a difference. And then in John 20, Jesus says these amazing words that hearken back to creation. You remember God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. The Lord Jesus is the creator. So it was the Lord Jesus who breathed, gave that breath of life into Adam and Eve so long ago. But now, as the head of the new creation, the Lord Jesus, before he goes back to heaven, he, he says these words, they're not fulfilled right at the moment. He says... Receive the Holy Spirit, and He breathed on them. No doubt, an allu- or a reference back, and a recognition here that the One who had breathed that life into Adam and Eve, and has breathed natural life into you and I, now breathes spiritual life into those that would follow Him and would be the start of His Church. Now let's look at Acts chapter 2. We're done the introduction now. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. It is the start of the first harvest. Some of us were here this morning when we were reading about Ruth. It actually references the start of the barley harvest when she actually arrives back in the land of Israel. It may well have been uh, right around Pentecost when she actually arrived back. But it was a feast of celebration. It was a time of celebration in Israel. On that day, all the believers are meeting together in one place. I want to just hit pause there for a second and point out that Scripture is full of blessing that comes when we meet together, both for God's people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Back in the Old Testament, the Pentecost was one of those times when people came together. But it is loaded with times of gathering and unity came, and blessing came, and the power of God came when God's people were together. When we come over to the book of Acts, we will see over and over again, as we study the book of Acts, that God's people came together. I like the, um, the double, uh, it, like, it, it feels like it repeats. It's like when you say two twins, and you mean, you know, like, a set of twins but we say two twins well look what he says here the the believers were meeting that seems to already mean they were together for them to be meeting then they were together and then they were in one place okay it's sort of like the lord's making it like 100 clear this was not a zoom meeting just saying so my dear brothers and sisters And I say it to my brothers and sisters that are watching by Zoom this morning. When you can, however you can, even when it means you've got to get out of your pajamas and you have to get dressed and you have to have a shower and you have to shave and you have to whatever you have to do, do it so that you can be together in one place. What's the third one? Meeting together in one place. Because when you can, blessing comes. How many of us have like, we know the times when we've just like groveled, we didn't really want to come, and, but we just sort of made ourselves, or we felt guilty, or our spouse or loved one sort of dragged us here, or a parent dragged us here, and then we get here, and something happens, and it's kind of like, yeah, that was good for my soul, right? So brothers and sisters, let's be together. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Can't get out of that. I didn't mention, but it does say all the believers. So let's let's just do this, folks. Okay. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. So something powerful is going on here. You can go back. I won't do it this morning, but if you go back to Sinai, you'll see that there was a time when the nation of Israel was gathered together after they had crossed the Red Sea, after they had been, they were in the wilderness, and they come to Mount Sinai, and God speaks in power. And he speaks with the Shekinah glory cloud. It displays and it's, it symbols his presence with them. This was now the start of something brand new. It was the fulfillment of Jesus saying, I will build my church and of him breathing on them and saying, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Jesus is the architect. The Holy Spirit is the general contractor. He's the one that actually makes it happen. So when they are together in one place, then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit, And began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. What happened this day is illustrated. One of the illustrations is if you take beads and a necklace. Up until this point, there were approximately 120 individual beads. This day, the Lord took those 120 beads and the Holy Spirit put a thread through them. And made it one necklace. And brothers and sisters, you and I are the continuation of that one necklace. He adds to the church every day those that are being saved. It says that in the book of Acts. We'll come to that later on. And that's what the Lord is still doing. But this church, his body, his bride, it's here. It's begun on the day of Pentecost with these ones that are gathered together. Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that did this work, that bound them together. We'll talk in a little bit about these other languages as the Spirit gave them this ability. <clears throat> so, the Holy Spirit, what does he do? First of all, Holy Spirit is not an it, it's a he. He is a person of the Godhead. Just as the Father is and the Son is, so is the Holy Spirit. And he is not inferior to the Father or the Son. But there are some really amazing verses that help us to understand his purpose in our lives. I will not cover all of them today at all. I'm only going to give you a little taste of this. It's worth a study because the Holy Spirit is paramount of absolute importance to us as those that know and follow Jesus. But let me give you a few. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. So, uh, some of us are familiar, usually when you do a house transaction, If you decide and you sign a paper saying you are going to buy this condo or you're going to buy this home, then typically what happens is it is required that you put a deposit down. And that deposit is a surety or a uh, showing some good faith that in fact you are going to continue and you are actually going to purchase that home. However, in our world, Deposits don't af- don't totally guarantee. You can have a transaction; somebody has put down a deposit, and they still don't follow through and, and do the transaction. We live in a very imperfect world. But God, who is absolutely holy and truth and right and righteous, He gives us a deposit of all that He has for us as Christians, as those that know and follow Jesus, and the deposit. Or the down payment is the Holy Spirit who comes to live in our hearts. And we are, as it says here, we are marked in him with a seal. So that's like a sealed transaction that what God has said he would do, all the the blessings that come to us, the inheritance, we are co-heirs. Those of us that know and follow Jesus are co-heirs of everything that Christ inherits. He's the Son of God. You and I share that with him. And as the deposit, as the stamp, as the mark, as the seal, he gives us the Holy Spirit who lives in us. It also says that, and that can be translated also, being baptized with the Holy Spirit. So uh, uh, being receiving him, being baptized with the Holy Spirit, being sealed with the Holy Spirit, This is something that is different words to to try to help us to understand that we take our place with Him or are in Him. The Spirit of God comes to live inside us, and we are sealed. We are His. uh, Also in John's Gospel, Jesus says, "...My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish." neither can anyone pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and none can pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Jesus has conveyed to us that you and I, when we accept Christ as our Savior, we are sealed, we are saved, and we are secure in the Father's love. Then we have a verse in Ephesians 5 that's, Kind of a little bit of a, f- a fun way to look at this. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life, and still instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. When we see somebody, I was drunk once in my life. I'll tell you about it. So we had a Christmas dinner happening, a luncheon happening, downtown, in, uh, right near Atwater and St. Catharines, at our office building right there. And a whole bunch of us went out for lunch. Included in the lunch at this very nice restaurant was a dessert that is known as Cherry Jubilee. Well, I happen to love Cherry Jubilee. Like, I would skip my meal to just have Cherry Jubilee. Okay, and a lot of them at the dinner that day didn't really like Cherry Jubilee and were just leaving it. Like leaving Cherry Jubilee. That's like, you just don't do that. So I eight, three or four cherry jubilees, okay? Totally oblivious to what was in the cherry jubilee, okay? Now, I have a meeting to run that afternoon back at the office, okay? And I went back to the office with my head sort of swimming and not sure really just what was happening. Fortunately, I walked back to the office, but that I will never forget. That was not a good feeling. You can be overcome with wine or with alcohol. Clearly, there was alcohol in the Cherry Jubilee, in case any of you hadn't followed that. So, don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. There is something here that some of you, you're kind of like, like, wait, 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 you're not talking about like being totally out of control by the Holy Spirit. And I say, no, but... The Lord wants you and I, as his believers, as his followers, to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. So just as that day I was under the control of alcohol, which was not a good thing, He wants. the Lord wants you and I to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. That means he affects how we think, he affects how we act, he affects the language that we use, He affects everything about us. That's being filled with the Spirit. We can also quench and grieve the Spirit. In Ephesians 4, it says, Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live, or do not grieve God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Ephesians 4, 30-32. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, we have, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. So what's the difference? Well, I would suggest to you that there are at least two ways that we can kind of work against the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit lives in us if we know and follow Jesus. You can't pick and choose. You can't leave the Holy Spirit at home some days when you don't really want to and bring him with you other days. He lives in us. That's both the good news and the bad news, if you know what I mean. He's with us all the time. So that good news is that he is in us and we are sealed. We are secure. The tough part of it is we don't want to now make him sad. We don't want to grieve him and we do grieve him when we sin. The Holy Spirit is in us, and when we behave in a way that is unbecoming to us as his followers, then the Holy Spirit is grieved, according to Ephesians 4. What should be showing from us is what we have in verse 32. If the Holy Spirit is at work in us, making us more and more like Christ, then we will be kind to each other. We will be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Brothers and sisters, remember, we are now strung together by the Holy Spirit. It happened on the day of Pentecost. We are now one necklace. We are linked together. That means that Steve McCarg has to put up with me. It means he has no choice. Why? Because... We are members of the same body. Look around, find the one that you find the most difficult in the church to get along with. I'm just kidding. But if you did, guess what? You are linked together, and the, the spirit of God working in you wants to make you kind and loving and tender-hearted and forgiving to each other. That's what is happening. That's what God is doing in the body of Christ, in the church. The other one is, do not stifle the Holy Spirit, from 1 Thessalonians 5. It's short, that that line in 1 Thessalonians 5, and it's got other stuff around it, but he doesn't really, you can't click on it and expand. Okay, it just says, don't stifle the Holy Spirit. What I think that means, and others of you may have different thoughts on this, but I think it has to do with, when you feel the Spirit is telling you to do something or to say something. You've got this urge that says, go talk to that lady, okay? Or you've got this urge to say, like, Dave, go take that middle seat on the airplane because, you know, that other person would do much better sitting where you are and God wants you to do that because there's somebody he wants to talk to. Sometimes it's just an urge to, I don't know, it's different for each of us, depending on our lives, but sometimes we have that urge and to speak or to say something or to do something, maybe just to be kind to someone. And it's not what we wanted to do right now. And the temptation is to stifle the spirit. So brothers and sisters, one of the things we are called to do is to be filled. With the Spirit. That means under the control, under the power of the Spirit. And if you and I are living that out in our lives, then we're going to be listening for the urging of the Holy Spirit, of his nudging, and we're going to be following that. We're going to be responding to that. If we do, it will make us more kind, more loving, more generous, more in the moment of living in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. Okay, so... Now, let's get back to this thing about the language. So remember we read that they all started speaking in different languages. And they did that um, right away, as soon as they were filled uh, with the Holy Spirit. In verse 4, it says, Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So, in verse 5, it goes on to say, "...at that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed, these people are all from Galilee. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the, the province of Asia." Persia, Pampilia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we hear all these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Talk about how to wrap f- a sermon. That's my last verse for today. They're just drunk, that's all. But what was really happening here, I suggest to you, if you look at this, that it wasn't the gift of ears, it wasn't that they could just suddenly all hear in their native language while, you know, while Peter was still speaking Greek, but now they were hearing in a Cretian language or you know, a language from any of those places. No, I don't think so, because otherwise nobody would think they were drunk. Everybody would be hearing them in their in their native language. So I think what was actually happening is God gave to Peter the ability to suddenly speak a language that he had never spoken before, but there were some people there that needed to hear the gospel in that language. And then he gave to John the ability to speak a different language, and there were some people there that needed to hear in that language. And so God wanted and did this amazing miracle for this amazing news to go out. The church had been formed, and God wanted the whole world to know. Remember that Jesus said, in the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Well, God allowed a phenomenal miracle this day, and all these different people heard in their native language the truth of God, what God was doing, and it tells us that 3,000 people came to know Christ that day. Now, that was 2,000 years ago. Today... Is the Spirit of God still working? Is he still doing the kinds of things he was doing 2,000 years ago? So I say it's like digital photography compared to what the old people in this audience were used to growing up. So let me explain to you that are younger. You see, we used to think of pictures as these little things done on Kodak paper. And we would have a negative, and then we would do a print onto Kodak paper. And then if you left that paper in the photo album for a while, and then you went to open it, you'd hear as you opened the photo album, and they'd have stuck to each other. Plus the pictures would often be kind of faded. And if you tried to make a copy of those pictures, then they even got more faded. And so it was sort of it was it was something that kind of faded after a while. That was the photography that we were used to. Then along came digital photography. Now, with digital photography, if Katie sends a picture to Ishi, and if Ishi sends a picture to Pat, and if Pat sends a picture over to Nancy, and if Nancy sends a picture, on and on, does the picture fade? Does the picture deteriorate? Not at all, right? Not at all, because it is digital. So, I say to you, brothers and sisters in Christ, the Holy Spirit is like digital photography. He has not faded. He does not diminish as time goes on or as he spreads out. I can take a digital picture and I can send it to a million people and every one of them still has exactly the same quality as that original digital photo. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. It is the same Holy Spirit that did this miracle on the day of Pentecost so that the gospel could go out all over the world. Isn't that awesome? No diminishing of power. Now, let's talk about tongues for a minute. So what God did here was the most phenomenal act of unity. He bound us together as brothers and sisters in Christ by the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of us so that we are now members of his church. And there is only one church. It is a church made up of every blood-bought brother and sister in Christ in this world. One church, and this was the most unifying event in the history of the church. Right here, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down. That was the most unifying effect. But, we have an enemy of the church, and that enemy is Satan. And what Satan has tried to do is he has tried to take this most unifying of all events on the day of Pentecost, and he has tried to make it into the great divide. And he has tried to make it so that some of us think that tongues don't happen anymore. Some of us think that tongues are only the ability to speak a known language. Some of us think that tongues is an angelic language and that, in fact, many of us have that ability to speak. We've got a variety of beliefs and understandings of what tongues is today. Guess what? I'm not going to tell you what I think. What I think is, God brought us together to be one. And you and I need to celebrate the unity that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. And you and I need to, sure, share and chat and study and research together on the differences. But, brothers and sisters, don't let it divide us. This was the great moment of unification of the church. It was where God brought the church together and united us with one spirit who lives inside all of us. When we get to heaven, we'll know, we'll understand. I can look around this church, and I can just tell you, Les back there, he's messed up on some things, Irby on some other things. I can point it over there. I mean, everybody's got different things they don't understand except me. You guys get that? You know exactly what I mean. When we get to heaven, we'll get it all, we'll hear it, we'll understand it all, and we'll just worship But while we're here, brothers and sisters, God has brought us into the unity of his Son. We are indwelt by the same Spirit. The Spirit is like digital photography. He doesn't wane. He doesn't diminish. And that same power, the Lord Jesus was raised from the dead by the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is alive and well in his original digital clarity in your soul and in my soul today so no the church is not if we can go to the next slide that the church is instead the next slide that you and i brothers and sisters that's the church you and i are seeing carried out today right here in this church this fulfillment of pentecost where we've got all different nations all different nationalities And yes, John and Kelly, you can see yourselves right there in that, right near the back. That was pretty awesome. And yes, you and I are members of this one body. We are from now all over the world, and that is so awesome, just like it was in Jerusalem. So let's celebrate this. Let's recognize our unity. Let's recognize that it is part of what the Trinity, the triune God, has done. It is, again, just as we saw him working in Trinity in creation, In incarnation, in the crucifixion, in the resurrection, the whole Trinity is also involved in the church. And as he works in us and through us, we can reach a lost world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you. We thank you, Father, that your heart is good. We thank you, Father, that you have designed all this. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, our great Redeemer. We thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit who takes and makes these things real in our souls. We thank you that you are together a triune God. And Father, we worship you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we worship you together. As the church, as a representation here of the church, the body of Christ, redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and on the way to the Father's house. We worship you. We thank you. And Father, it is our prayer today that if there is someone here that is listening but has not become part of the church yet, that you would open their eyes today, open their heart, help them to see this great master plan, all based on what Jesus did for us at Calvary, and we pray that they would receive the Lord Jesus as their Savior today. So help us, Father, as those that know and follow you, to go out in the power of your Holy Spirit today. Help us not to be drunk with wine or in his excess, but to be filled with the Spirit. May your Spirit, Father, empower us, embolden us, and may we not grieve him today. We ask for your blessing. We thank you. We love you, and we pray